I was praying for 2023 and praying for you, and I never just make something up and make it rhyme so that it sounds good. That's just utter foolishness. I listen to God. If he doesn't say anything, then I just keep teaching the Bible. And if he does say something, then it's a prophetic edge to what the Bible would say. And he has said something every year. He's the God of new beginnings. And so he'll give you a fresh word and a new season. And um, I was, this will tie into it. Some of you heard this last week, but I'll share it again because it's significant because it's not just for me, it's also for you. So I uh, had my, I do every year I have an empty pad and I have a pencil. And I don't put my five-year plan. I don't put my agenda. I don't set my goals. I ask God, what are your goals? What is your dream? I don't want to waste my life living my dreams. I want to live God's dreams. And God's dreams are always much bigger than mine anyway, right? Peter's a fisherman, becomes an apostle, right? You know, David is a shepherd, becomes the greatest king of Israel. So you, you, you give your dreams to God and say, hey, let's, let's make an exchange and let's make a swap. His dreams are always bigger than yours. And you get to live a supernatural life with supernatural wind in your sails because the Holy Spirit will, is busy fulfilling Jesus' dreams in the earth. Jesus said to his disciples who thought Jesus was going to restore the natural kingdom of Israel to them. And Jesus says, lift your eyes and look, the harvest is ripe and ready, right? An entire Samaritan village gets saved. They didn't have that on their agenda, but it was on Jesus' agenda, right? And so they're, they're like, we want to reign and rule with you on, on earth and a natural Israel. And he says, how about you reign and rule with me over the universes? You have 12 thrones in heaven. See, his, his vision is always bigger than ours. So it's really smart to start with an empty pad, sharp pencil, and then ask. And uh, so I processed last year and let it all go, and I'm going through the new year. I'm at my keyboard and I'm, I'm sending out a congregational email to you all saying the exact same thing. Right then, my daughter Bella, she comes down, she just came off a three-day water fast. She's home from college. She wants to seek God for her future and what he has for her. She walks in and says, Dad, I had a dream of you, which first of all, it's very cool that the next generation is experiencing, you know, signs, miracles, and wonders, right? Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Put the bat in their hand, you know, let them hit a few home runs. And so she comes down and said, I had a dream. You were sitting in our back pool, and there was an old man sitting next to you, and you guys were talking for a while. And as you were talking, the water level in the pool kept going lower and lower and lower and lower and lower. Once the pool was completely empty, the old man got up, walked through our house, went out the front door, and floated off into the sky. And she said, I knew it was the old man's last day to live. Now, this was December 31st when she had this dream, the last day of the year. And at the bottom of the pool, there was a little pile of salt, and I was raking it and putting it all over, every covering every inch of the bottom of the pool with his salt. And that was the end of the dream. And, uh, you know, Hope has the gift of interpreting of dreams, and she, it was just, she was right there, and she was, it was just very clear. That old man represented 2022. It's his last day to live. We were processing. God saw me with my empty pad and my pencil. And I'm wanting to partner with him in the cycle. So he gives my daughter a dream to say, I see you. I'm with you. The old is gone. That last year has floated up the sky. It's in the records, but it's gone. New year is coming. That salt was the preservation. We are to be the salt of the earth, family of God. We are to be the salt of the earth. We are the preserving element of a earth that is on a downward moral, immoral slide. And it's God's people that preserve righteousness and truth and honesty and love and forgiveness and kindness, holiness in the earth. We are the salt and light of the world. Jesus called us that. But the last few years have wreaked tremendous damage pain and suffering, brokenness, tearing and ripping in the earth. Our country, the economy, our government, the churches, families, marriages, relationships, between the racial wars and the political wars and the COVID wars. And this wasn't on my mind. But when I was in prayer, and the reason I told you that dream when I was in prayer, I asked the Lord, what do you have for 2023? And I'm thinking, you know, rah-rah. I'm thinking victory. I'm thinking, you know, upward and onward. And the Lord's The Lord let me feel his heart, and then he said this word, restoration. 
And when he said that, I felt his shepherd's heart for brokenness in the wake of damage that, has, that, that is still, the residue of it is still in our lives. People struggling with mental health from isolation, emotional damage, uh, marriages and relationships, relationships that were lifelong relationships ripped apart by political divide. The economy, people losing their, their livelihood and still trying to recover. The counseling offices all over San Diego have a backlog. There is a waiting list to get in, and that includes pastors. I was talking to a counselor friend, and he said, I have never counseled so many pastors in my life. The last few years have been rough, but Jesus is the God of restoration. He can restore anybody and anything, and he can do it in short order. I'm going to give you an example of this, because this is what we're opening up today. We're opening up a series on restoration, because this is what the Lord is doing today. I believe this year you're going to experience rapid restoration in areas of deterioration. I'm going to tell you a story that's a little personal, but um, I had somebody very, very, very dear to me, very close to me, and they committed suicide. And when I heard the news, I was in Ohio, I got a phone call back from back here in San Diego, and, and the, my pastor here in San Diego called me, and it, you know, death is the hardest thing for us. We weren't created for it. God created us to live eternally, and Adam and Eve disconnected from God, and death entered the human race, and everything that comes with that. So it's hard for us to navigate death, negotiate it. That loss is beyond our soul's capability to process. It takes time. Some never recover. And uh, I'm sitting in the back seat of my mom's car because, and everybody's outside talking. They're all in a restaurant eating. You know, I'm home visiting my family. So we're all at a restaurant. Everybody's eating, chatting. I'm just sitting there staring at my plate, you know, because you're in shock, right? And you're in disbelief. And you're, you're trying to process. You're kind of paralyzed. And, and, and I'm just, you know, I'm a downer. And, and so then I, I, I get into my, my mom's car and I sit in the back seat because I just want to be alone. And in that moment where I'm in the back seat and I'm, 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 I can't help myself, you know? People say, just snap out of it. That's the worst thing you can say to somebody who's drowning. The reason I tell you the story is because what happened to me was shocking. The Lord spoke a scripture to me in the backseat of that car from the book of Ezekiel, or book of Nehemiah that said, Do not weep, for this day is holy to the Lord. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Boom! It's just literally the grief lifted off of me. I was completely instantaneously restored by the Lord. Did I miss my friend? Yes. I miss my friend to this day. But that weight, that suffering, the drowning grief that was on me was literally gone. It doesn't always happen instantaneously like that. However, I will say this. A friend of mine who was a clinical psychologist for 30 years at this point of our conversation, that was 20 years ago, she was a clinical psychologist, and then she got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, and she continued in her practice. And she was telling a colleague about somebody that she was counseling. And her colleague said, oh, well, that'll take, you know, two to three years for that person to recover from that. And my friend said, no, it'll take about six months. And she said, no, this is the classic, you know, textbook case this person will take six years to recover from that. She said, no, since I got saved and I've invited the Holy Spirit into my practice, I have found that what used to take six, two years takes about six months now. Come on, come on. 
God is the God of restoration. When I shared this with Pastor Mark and Josh this uh, just recently at the turn of the year, saying I feel like this is where the Lord's leading us as the elders that we had an elders meeting. Mark started tearing up. I said, I feel like this is the Lord. Does it resonate with you guys? And Mark started tearing up and he said, over the last three months, whenever I pray for you and for Josh and for the church and for myself, he said, I cannot pray anything else but the restoration of our souls. The Lord restores my soul. Psalm 23. Psalm 23 for 2023. And then Gary told me just this last week that in Hebrew, the year 2020, the word uh, 2023 literally means restoration. So I've asked Mark to teach next Sunday on the Lord restores my soul, the restoration of your soul. It could be the restoration of your marriage. It could be a relationship you think is gone with no hope of recovery. It could be the restoration of your mental health and your peace, your soul peace. It could be the restoration of your ministry, your career, your reputation. That was a word of knowledge right there. Somebody, your reputation has been maligned and you don't think you'll ever get it back. The Bible says this, do not fear the wicked because your right to the Lord will cause your righteousness to shine as the noonday sun. You just, whoever this is for, you be, you wait and you be patient for the Lord is your defender. You don't have to defend yourself. And he says to you that your, your righteousness, he will cause your righteousness to shine as the noonday sun for all to see. Amen. I don't know who that was for, but it was for somebody. What is the definition of restoration? The textbook, the, the Webster's definition is the action of returning something or someone to its former condition. Have any, any of you ever restored something? Like a house or a piece of furniture or something? Plumbing? Okay. That's interesting. Nobody ever thought Mary would restore plumbing, but I'm sure, okay, you paid somebody to restore. All right, just, I know you're multi-talented and have many gifts. I did not know plumbing was one of them. Josh, you've restored things. What have you restored? Give me one. Furniture. furniture. So you get a piece of furniture that they're about, somebody's about to throw out. Right, Gary, you do the same thing. Gary, you, re, you restored a piece of furniture for us. It's in, our, it's in our dining room right now. You get this piece of furniture and you think you're just going to throw this thing out. But somebody with an eye of restoration can see something and say, that can be beautiful again. God can take the most broken and make it the most beautiful. I was talking to Josiah this morning. He said a friend of his, uh, Andy, I saw it, drove, drives up to school in Ramona with his 1956 Chevy Caprice. Right? It, it is just gorgeous. And Josiah said, I saw the before and after picture. He said, when I saw the before picture, this rusty old you know, ready for the junkyard car. He said, I, th- I thought when I saw that car, nobody, that car will never ride again. Some people have said that about you. You may have said that about yourself. I will never rise from these ashes. I will never accomplish what God's called me to. That relationship will never happen again. It'll never come back to the way God designed it. Let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you some good news today, all right? You ready for this? I gave you the definition, Webster's definition of restoration. Let me give you God's. In the Bible, you never see restoration being restored to its original condition. That's not biblical restoration. When God's involved, watch this. The action of returning something or someone double like Job... He got twice as much back after the devastation. Four times, the Bible said, God says, if somebody steal, you steal somebody's sheep, you got to restore four times. Or if you were stealing an oxen, you have to give back five times. Zacchaeus, when he had one lunch with Jesus, when he said, I give half my goods to the poor. And if I've stolen from anybody, if I give back four times, that was Levitical law to give back four times. That's why he said four times. That's biblical restoration. Or in the book of Proverbs, it says, if somebody has stolen from you and the thief be found, they must give back seven times. 
Jerry Savelle was preaching one time and he told this story about how he was going to have his trees trimmed and he told the guy, the guy gave him the quote and he said, no, don't do it. He went on a preaching gig and he comes back and the guy's up there trimming. He had half his trees already trimmed. And he said, I told you not to do it. And the guy just like got into this legal battle with him. Like, well, I've already started the job. And he was so mad because it was unrighteous. And it was $3,000. He was so mad about it. The Lord told him, you know what the Lord told him? Woke him up in the middle of the night and he said, pay him and tell him that when you have the rest of the money, he can finish the job. And Jerry was like, no, never. (laughs) This is the salt and light thing I'm talking to you about. So he tells the guy, he paid him $3,000, and he said, and when I have the money, I'll call you back, and you can finish the job. He did it, you know, he'd rather have eaten a bowl of gravel than obey the Lord in that situation. He said he was in the airport, ready to get on a plane to go to another a preaching gig, and this guy is running through the airport going, Jerry, 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 and he turns around and goes, what? And he said, I'm glad I got you. I, didn't, I had to get this to you before you left town. The Lord's been all over me. He goes, what is it? He handed him an envelope with $21,000 cash. What is seven times three? When a thief is found, he must restore sevenfold. God's restoration in your life is going to be double, four times, five times, or seven times this year. You think about the walls of Jerusalem. You guys know the book of Nehemiah, right? The walls of Jerusalem are broken down. There may be things in your life that are broken down. Those stones, when the Babylonian army came and took Israel captive, they burnt their city to the ground. And you cannot use burnt stones to build with. The constitution of the stone is compromised. You can't put weight on it. But when God is involved, the God of restoration is involved. He can take the burnt stones of your marriage, the burnt stones of your relationship with your children, the burnt stones of your past indiscretions and mishandling of finances, the burnt stones of your reputation, as I prophesied a few minutes ago, whatever it is. When God touches those burnt stones, he can do something miraculous like rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Not only was it a supernatural rebuilding, but they did it in 52 days, which was a miracle. God can restore you, and he can restore you rapidly, like me sitting in the back seat of that car with at least two years of counseling ahead of me, and I was healed instantaneously. It was done so supernaturally that it says... In the Bible, that the enemy looked at it and said, this work has been done by God. Even your enemies will look at your life and say, God must have done that. Are you guys ready for some of this this year? Because this is what God is doing. We're going to look at a chapter today in the book of Isaiah. And in this chapter, we're going to find... a profound depth and breadth of God's restoration in a nation and and a people group and individuals. And in this chapter, we're going to see a lot of sorrow and grief that God is touching. And the sorrow and grief is coming from two two, uh, sources. One is because the restoration that was prophesied of Jerusalem is the restoration of the city of Jerusalem. The restoration when they got there, when the remnant were, were 70 years in captivity from the Babylonian Empire. This is world history. It's in the Bible. 70 years in captivity. They come back. They're so excited to be back. And the restoration has begun. But their inability to settle political differences, economic disparities, racial disputes... And to rebuild the temple and to rebuild the walls was so, so, so far below what they expected. The prophecies were like, the, the glory, the restoration of the city. 
is going to be so, it's going to be beyond the glory that it once was. And yet when they got there, it wasn't that at all. So they were discouraged and despondent. You ever felt that way? You ever felt that? You see the promises in the Bible and they're up here and your experience is down here. Anybody live in that gap? Anybody living in that gap? <laughs> yeah. All of us are living in that gap. It's great when our experience matches the promise. That's a woohoo! But it's not always a microwave situation. There's a process. And so Isaiah is prophesying into that. The other source of grief, I'm going to say this before we begin reading the chapter. The other source of grief and sorrow was they knew they had brought the demise on themselves through their sin and rebellion against God. But I want to say this to you. Even when you have brought the pain on yourself, God still has a plan of restoration for you. Come on. What was that? That's a good word right there. The pastors have to encourage each other. They won't amen, pastor. I'll amen you because you, you signed my paycheck. All right. Even, even when we create our own pain, God has a plan of restoration. In this chapter, and I got to do this quickly. That was just the introduction. In this chapter, we're going to see three things. One is personal restoration. The other is perpetual restoration. And then praise. Personal restoration is God restoring you. Perpetual restoration is when your restoration then influences those around you and it perpetuates to your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, to your friends, your neighbors, to your work environment. Your perpetual restoration. People are healed because you've been healed. Change people, change people. And that creates praise. In this chapter, it's, this chunk is just so powerful. Personal restoration, perpetual restoration, and praise. So let's start. Isaiah chapter 61. This is Isaiah prophesying. They're, 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 you're going into captivity, he's prophesying. They haven't gone into captivity yet. You're going to go into captivity. However, when you come out, this is what's going to happen. And so he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Those of you here today, those of you watching online, those who are listening you're brokenhearted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. That happened to me in the back seat of my mom's car. And provide for those who grieve in Zion. That's Jerusalem at that time, is now the church. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Isn't this beautiful? The oil of joy instead of mourning. And the garment of praise, Josh, instead of a spirit of despair. I love it when you come and make us put on a garment of praise every time we show up. You can get delivered right there in praise. Then you just go on home. You know what I mean? You can sit back and watch and get nothing, or you can participate, as Josh says. An encounter with God requires participation. I love that. Whether you feel like it or not, get your praise garment on. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display, for the display of His splendor. When God restores you, it is for the display of His splendor. I'm going to say something about the year of Jubilee and there's so much here to unpack and I don't have time to do it. So I'm just going to pick and choose the things I capitalize on. The year of Jubilee. There's a lot of talk about the year of Jubilee. In the year of Jubilee, what that meant back there was all debts were canceled. All land was returned to the original owners. The slaves were freed. Everybody was given a fresh new beginning. This was the Lord's way of balancing the economy and keeping the rich from exploiting the poor. So in, in, in Israel and in their culture, every 50 years, it was a reset. Anybody feel a reset? This year's like a reset. It's a reset. It's a reboot. 
God's doing a new thing. Let me say something to you about the, the, all the stuff in the Old Testament. All the stuff in the Old Testament. All the sacrifices, the lampstand, the, show, the showbread, the temple. All of it was a foreshadow, a picture, a foretelling of Christ. You don't have to wait 50 years anymore for the favor of the Lord. In Christ, He is our jubilee. He's the fulfillment of the year of jubilee. You live in the favor of God every day if you're in Christ Jesus. Your debt to God was canceled. I am not looking to the feast days of the past. I'm not looking to the year jubilee from the past. I told you when I was in Rome just recently, they have this door, a big wooden door. And the lady said every, every 50 years they open that door and if you walk through it, your sins are forgiven. And I said, (laughs) (laughs) and my hope and I led her to the Lord right there in front of the Vatican. Right in front of the belly of the beast, we led her to the Lord. She had, been doing, she had been doing tours through the Vatican for 25 years and never knew salvation. What you see on my face is righteous indignation, by the way. Makes me angry. Religion makes me angry. Made the Lord angry, too. He was calling people snakes. I haven't done that yet. <laughs> Watch out. It's early. Josh says it's early. Don't you guys hate religion? Now, James says true religion, true and undefiled religion, he used that word, is uh, to take care of the orphans and the widows. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that legalistic, nasty thing Malika was raised in. Right, Malika? And you got set free when you came here and heard grace. Yes. We were in a membership class, and I looked over at Malika, and I said, what's going on with you? Never heard grace before. That religious spirit is a mean demon. Put you in bondage and fear and shame. The crown speaks of restoring your dignity, your place of honor. He, he, was, he, was, he was drawing them out of slavery back into the rightful place. God finds you in your brokenness, in your spiritual humiliation. He finds you. You didn't find the Lord. He found you. Picked you up out of the dust. Breathed His Spirit into you. Forgave all your sins. Puts a crown on your head and calls you a son and a daughter of the King. That's what this is a picture of right here. He uses... He uses... He he talks to a people group that's humiliated over their personal failures. And they're in slavery and in bondage. And he uses the picture of a wedding. Young girls, they, they, they dream and fantasize about their wedding day and the dress they're going to wear and the, all, the, all the preparation up to that day of celebration and all that goes on. That's like one of the highest days in the human experience is a wedding. So full of joy and celebration. This is the picture that the Holy Spirit is using. To say, this is what your future is going to look like. It was the complete opposite of their current experience. What was God's solution to their utter hopeless situation? The Messiah. That's what this prophecy is all about. The coming one. Jesus. And we know that's a fact because if you know the New Testament and the book of Luke, 
when Jesus goes to church one day and they hand him the book, let the rabbi teach from the book. He opens the scroll of Isaiah 61. He quotes what I just quoted. And then he said something that was a game changer. This day, everybody say this day. day. Online, say this day. day. All those that are on your phone right now say, oh, I guess that's me. I'm online. This day, say it again, this day. Because it wasn't just that day. It's that day is still this day. Because it's still called today. That from the day that Jesus said this day, that day has never ended until he comes back again. We're still in this day. This day, this prophecy has been fulfilled in your hearing, he says to his congregation. And they all, they're all saying amen up to that point. Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of what Isaiah prophesied. I am the answer. And I've come to restore. And they got so angry that he says to them, and I want to say this to you today, he says to them, as they're, as they're arguing against him, you're Joseph's son, the carpenters, and we know who you are. And they start, they start to dishonor who he is. He says to them, he gives them two examples of how God moves. He talked about a Syrophoenician woman in the Old Testament who was a non-Jew who God used to provide for the prophet. And then he talks about uh, the Syrian that got healed of leprosy, a non-Jew. He gives them two testimonies of God restoring people, and they weren't Jews. They got so mad at that that they tried to push them off the edge of a hill, edge of a cliff. I hope that doesn't happen to me today as I continue to preach, because who knows what's going to happen next. But what he was saying, what Jesus was saying was this to them. God wants to touch you. God wants to restore you. I'm here. But you're rejecting me. We do this with the Bible. We do it with the promises of God. We do it with the move of God. When God is doing something and we reject it. We say, no, can't be done that way. That's impossible. Not through that person. Yeah. Right? That's not who I would choose. So God will do it through somebody else. That's what Jesus is saying. Have you ever been so healed and restored over a trauma that you thought a past event that you thought that you, you will never get over this. Yes. And if you do go on, you will be weighed down by it for the rest of your life because it was so emotionally, psychologically, relationally, financially, whatever it might have been, impactful. It was such a negative experience. You're thinking, I will never get over this. How many of you have had an experience like that in life. If I had four arms, maybe six, I'd raise them, right? Yeah. And then the Lord, over time, does such a work of restoration that you can remember the event, but you can't feel the pain of it anymore. Anybody? Come on. Come on. That's what I'm talking about. And this, well, I want to say, this is so deep and so rich and so good. I just can't, I can't do, I can't exegete the entire passage because there's too much. I do want to say this. The last part of that first chunk of scripture said that you'll be oaks of righteousness. What's that about? The oak wood was so hard so strong that's what they made the yokes with that they put on oxen to plow the fields with he says your weakest area is going to become your strongest area 
You're going to be strong like an oak tree. The area that you think you'll never be healed from, you'll never get over, the pain from the past. The areas of your personality, your character, that are your weakest area that keeps sabotaging you over and over. That keeps sabotaging your relationships, sabotaging your success. Jesus says, when I touch you, that area of your weakness will become the greatest area of your strength. I personally experienced that. I'm not going to talk about it because it'll sound like I'm tooting my own horn. I'm not. There was a part of my character that was the weakest part of me. Well, I feel like the Lord says you can tell it. I used to quit everything. I was a quitter. I quit sports if it got too tough. I quit relationships if it got too complicated. I quit school. I quit jobs. When the going got tough, John quit. That was my motto. That's just what I did. And then I gave my life to the Lord, and I went to quit a job here in San Diego, and he wouldn't let me. On the inside, I felt this, don't. I was like, what? I hated my job. Oh. And the Lord, I, so, so we put an ad in the paper, and I, we hired somebody for me, to, and I trained him. And as soon as they were, he was supposed to take my, my spot so I could go back to L.A. and go back into the music industry, which is what I came out to California for. My dream, God's dream. You felt that one, didn't you, Eric? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, got him. Sometimes you just preach until you get him. The guy didn't come in. I called him. He said, my old, my old job hired me back at twice the salary. So I started all over, put an ad in the paper in San Diego. Train, hire somebody, train someone, you know, through the interview process, you find the person, you train them, exact same thing happened. His old job hired him back at twice the salary. It happened a third time. And my brother said, I think the Lord wants you to be the manager. I'm like, ah! It started manifesting, you know, it was like, he would not let, he would not let me quit because Jesus is not a quitter. He was trying to inject into my character his divine character first peter the divine nature god has given us the divine nature so that we can partake of his holiness by the end of that year i had changed to now i don't quit when i should yeah So now we're having a completely different conversation. He's like, let go, let go. I'm like, never. (laughs) It's true. And he'll do the same thing with you. And this goes to perpetual restoration. We're going to bring this in for landing here in a few minutes. They, talking about you, Turn to the person next to say, okay, say this is talking about you. Turn to the person next to say, this next, this next chunk is about you, okay? They, they being the restored. They being the restored. And it doesn't mean you have to be perfectly restored to be part of the second operation. But, but you got to have some measure of restoration, and now you're able to turn and restore others. I've been there. I can help you. That's what this next chunk is in this chapter. The Lord will so touch you that your area of weakness, you'll end up being an area of strength and you'll be able to help others. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Some of you are repeating the patterns of your fathers, mothers, grandfathers, grandmothers, great-grandmothers, great-grandfathers, generations past, and it's rolling on down to you, and it stops with you. You You and Jesus can create a new pattern of health and wholeness and generosity and kindness and humility. That's what it just said. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore, everybody say restore, the places long devastated. 
They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. I was on the phone yesterday with an associate superintendent uh, here in San Diego of the school system. I'm fixing a, my daughter's sink. I'm up in her bathroom. I have him on the speakerphone, and he's processing the death of his dad. And he starts telling me about his dad. Oh, having to honor someone that doesn't deserve honor. Anybody ever been there before? And he's processing this and processing this. I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm listening. And what he has determined with his kids and grandkids is what I call reverse discipleship. Don't do to them what was done to you. Okay, I know what that feels like, and I don't want them to feel that. Right? I call it reverse discipleship. Show me what not to do, how not to make people feel. You can overreact or you can do it with Christ. He will give you the right measure, the right motivations, the right perspectives. He has some remorse over his behavior as a son. And I said, use your remorse as a force for good. That's what the apostle Paul did. Paul said, I murdered Christians. I'm the least of the apostles, the greatest of sinners. And yet he planted more churches than anybody. Use your remorse as a force for good. Take it to God. I screwed up. They screwed me up. I'm a mess. Here I am. Restore me, God, so that I can be a blessing. The pastoral staff, you know what our our starting line is? Do them no harm. That's where we like to start, right? Isn't that, isn't that the, the, the creed, the, the medical creed, right? Medical profession, do, them, do no harm. We, we, we start there, huh? Hippocratic oath. Do no harm. That's where we start. Then hopefully we can help people <laughs> from there. And you will be called priests of the Lord. I'm sorry. Strangers and shepherds will... Uh, Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. That's a restoration of prosperity. You'll be called the priests of the Lord. That's, the Bible says we're all priests now. We're a kingdom of priests. That means we are the go-between between God and people. We bring God to people. We bring people to God. That's what we do as Christians. You will be named ministers of our God. This is your new identity. We say that, say, this is my new identity. You got to take it on. You got to own it. You got to know this is who you are. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land. And everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love... Okay, now here comes where he says, and this is how you're going to do it. we got to be like him. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. If you're a liar, a cheat, dishonest, deceiver, manipulator, or you can just go down the line, you will not be a help but a hurt to a lost and fallen world. You're a friend group, those you go to school with, those you work with, your family members. God is saying that I want to use you to restore, to bring hope and healing and option for people that are devastated and, 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 and confused and hopeless. I want to use you, but you got to be like me. I, I love, he says, justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. And then he says, I'll be with you in my faithfulness. I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are, they are a people the Lord has blessed. Whew. That was the salt on the bottom of the pool. You're like, what was that? It was, it was preparing for a new year. 
That last year's gone. The old man time died. 2022's gone. You got to let the 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 bitterness go. Some of the setup crew and I were joking around this morning. They're like, "What's God said to you this year?" I said, "He's told me to be easily offended." He and, and Jerry goes, "Yeah, won't you make a record of all the wrongs that have been done to you, and and, and just just look at them every morning, as soon as you wake up, and then before you go to bed at night." And then Will said, "I'll I'll write a song called." marinate in my bitterness <laughs> but this is what we do and what the lord was showing me was the pool water's gone down 2020 you 2022 is done gone off into the sky into the record books of heaven a fresh bed of salt on the bottom of the pool that is the salt of every relationship you are in be a preserving element in your family, in your friendships, on your school campus, on your sports team, in your work environment. Be the salt of the world. Be the one who forgives offenses. Don't look for them. Overlook them. The Bible says it's the glory of a person to overlook an offense. Not look for, overlook. Be a forgiver. Be gracious. Be a giver. Be humble. Like God. And we will bring healing to a hurting world. And this will result in praise. The end of the chapter, Isaiah 61, 10 10 and 11. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices. This is you speaking, by the way. This is is the prophet now speaking from the one who has been restored and is now being used by God to restore others. I will greatly delight in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. Has God clothed you with garments of salvation? The psalmist said to the Lord when he had blown it, he had sinned so bad. David committed first degree murder and adultery. He said to God when he went and repented, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Some of you need to pray that prayer today. We're going to take communion in a moment. And you need to say, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. I have blown it. I have sinned. Or somebody hurt me, I need to forgive them. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. He's clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his, his righteousness. As a bridegroom adores, adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels for, for as the soil. Now here comes, here comes the budding of new life in, in, the, in, the, in the fresh soil of your new year. For the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow. You got to get those nasty weeds out of your garden today, family. So the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all the nations. God's vision, Jesus' vision, is to restore your life this year. Will, will you let him? Will you do what he says? Like my Proverbs 31 wife says, if you're not willing to hear no, you're not willing to hear the Lord yet. We just want him to be Pedro and make all of our wildest dreams come true. But sometimes Pedro tells us to do something that's hard, like forgive, let go. Somebody just got stuck. Did you hear that? Amen. That's the way of the congregation telling you to stop preaching. That was enough. (laughs) Go ahead. Praise God. (laughs) That's a good word right there. They're not subtle around here. Isn't that good? I just. That's a good word. Yeah, man. And, And God just brought back to me a memory of one of the most dynamic restorations I've ever seen in my life. We were back east, had a good friend, and he got into some drugs and got, you know, just was struggling, struggling for some time. They diagnosed him as bipolar. So then the psychiatrist puts him on more drugs, and he's battling it. He goes to the psychiatrist, 
And the psychiatrist says, you know, I just came home from a seminar. And the drug you took, here's a picture of your brain. The drug you took is the reason that you're struggling with bipolar. You did this to yourself. What does that do? But talk about the shame you were talking about. Yeah. The disgrace. So he said, come to church with us tonight. We went to church. He, he's devastated. I did this to myself by my indiscretion. We go to church that night, and a man stands up through the power of the Holy Spirit, has a prophetic word. And he said, there's someone here. The doctor has told you that you caused the pain. It's in your mind. You have mental illness. And the doctor told you that you caused it. Wow. Now, that happened three hours earlier. And he said, and Jesus wants to heal you right now. He ran up forward. My friend ran up forward, felt the power of God hit him like a lightning bolt. He was delivered, healed. <laughs> Talk about it. Now, he then says, okay, I'm going to quit taking these drugs from the psychiatrist. And we said, man, you better watch this. You know, you got to be careful about it. Yeah. He just took himself off those drugs, went to another psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist said, you're you're not bipolar. You have no mental illness. He was totally healed. Wow. Power of God. I want to qualify what he just said by saying, throwing away your drugs does not heal you. He had an encounter. That's a completely separate situation. I say that because I got healed from something and I told a friend of mine who was diabetic and I, when I knew I was healed because the Lord, the Lord clearly said it to me, I threw my medication away. And so she heard that testimony and she threw hers away and they found her on her living room floor. Three days later, she had not died, but it was close. You know, you can't get healed off somebody else's faith, right? So faith is faith. And um, so this guy had an encounter with the Lord. And it, yeah, so. So let's take the communion there. Op- open up the top. And if this is your first time with these since COVID, uh, we'll give you a moment. They're a little tricky. Oh, oh we love you, Lord. You are the healer, God. You are the restorer, Lord. There's no sin you've committed that cannot be forgiven by God right now. There's no brokenness that intimidates Him. If He can build the walls of Jerusalem, and if He can do it in 52 days, He can rebuild you. Lift up the body of Christ with me and say, Lord, you are broken so I could be healed. Let's eat the body together. Let his healing begin right now as we mix our faith with this communion. Let him begin healing your soul. Take the cup. I'm going to take a moment with this and invite you to spend a moment with the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to ask you to do two things in this moment, in this supernatural moment. I'm going to ask you to ask him to completely forgive you for all of your sins and everything you've done to bring any level of devastation and brokenness in your own life and just completely receive his forgiveness. So I'm going to give you a moment to do that with the Holy Spirit.
You guys remember when uh, after Peter denied Jesus three times? And then Peter was out fishing because he thought that plan A was over. And he went back to fishing business. And he came on the shore when he realized it was the risen Christ. And you know, he was waiting for the, the speech, right? You kids know the speech, right, from your parents? Jesus didn't give him a speech. What did, what did he give him? Breakfast. For those of you who have been living in shame, the Lord is making you breakfast this morning. A new start. If you've never received the Lord as your Savior, I want to say this to you. You will never make it to heaven. You're not going to make it. Don't think you're going to show up and impress God with your righteousness. Well, I did unto others as they would do unto me. No, you haven't. Nobody has. We've all failed. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's perfect standard. The only way out for you is through Christ Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, not a way, the way, the life, the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes, he said this, nobody comes to the Father except through me. He wasn't being arrogant. He was just telling you the truth. So before we drink the blood together, I want to invite you to receive Jesus as your Savior. Start this new year. That's where restoration begins, is by Jesus forgiving you of your sins, breathing His Spirit into your soul. You become what Jesus said, born again, spiritually rebirthed. Then in that instant, you become a son or a daughter of God. And the judgment of God has now passed from your life, and He will not judge you. Because he already judged his son on the cross for you. But you have to receive him as your savior for that to transpire. So I'm going to give you that opportunity right now. If you've never received Jesus as your savior right there where you are online or sitting here in your seat. Just between you and God right off your lips. Just say this. Say, Just repeat after me right off your lips. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I have failed. I cannot impress you. I come to you just as I am. And I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. And I am asking you to be my Savior right now. Now I'm going to ask you to do this. You've asked the Lord to forgive you for your failures. Now I'm going to ask you to forgive others for theirs. We read it in the scripture, don't amen my sermon and then not do it. That's a hypocrite. He said, love, I love justice, mercy. You're going to be the salt of the world. You're going to restore generations. The negative cycle stops with you. So right now, right before we drink this, I'm going to ask you to go to the Holy Spirit again. And we're going to do something bold this morning. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit, you can ask the Holy Spirit, to cause to come up into your heart and mind those who have mistreated you. Remember that old man that was sitting next to me in the pool? And we processed it all out. And then he went off into the sky. And it's a brand new slate. You can't carry all that junk with you forward. So let's go to the Holy Spirit again. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to bring up areas where people need to let go and forgive and release. Now these places and faces rise up in your heart and mind. I'm asking you to humbly and courageously hand them over to Jesus. Say, Lord, you deal with them. I'm giving this and I'm giving them to you. And now say, and I release them from their debt to me.
Will you say that? Can you say that? I release them from their debt to me. Now let's drink the blood of Jesus together. And let's worship. Sun 
If you've been made new, let's lift up a shout of praise in this place. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Some of those powerful things take place in our prayer teams that are going to come up now. The prayer team is going to move from their seat. They're going to start making the way up front. And uh, Rod and Glenn, if you could join us in that. Uh, and uh, Dan and Kristen, if you could join us as well. Uh, the prayer teams come up front. Um, and Jesus said, Jesus has given us different ways for his power to be released in the earth. One is praise. I inhabit the praises of my people. The psalmist said, the prophet said, bring me a skillful musician that I may prophesy. When David played his guitar, the demon left King Saul. So praise is a place where God's power can come. Preaching is a place where God's power can come. Another place is called the prayers of agreement. Jesus said, where two of you on earth agree is touching it. Some of you need an agreeing prayer. Some of you need deliverance. Physical healing in your body. A word of encouragement from God. And these brothers and sisters up here are ready to pray for you, prophesy over you, listen to God for you, agree with you, so your restoration can be real. So if you need prayer, Josh is, actually, we're not going to have music, we're just going to, I'm not sure what we're going to do. All right, we'll go with the flow. The music is going to be very low so that people can hear what your request is because we've got the speakers right here and so sometimes it's hard. Um, if you need prayer, um, as I'm going to dismiss here in about 30 seconds. You just move your way up here. And don't, don't go out that way if you need prayer. Come this way. You might get something that you need. If you've never given your life to the Lord, you need to come up and have them pray for you. If you just gave your life to the Lord, come up and say, I just gave my life to the Lord and We'll help you move, take your step next, next steps forward. So God bless you. The Lord is going to, the Lord is already working to restore you in areas that you thought were impossible this year because he is the God of restoration. Amen. Amen.